Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Named by Art Review as the most powerful artist in the world, Ai Weiwei is China's most celebrated contemporary artist and its most outspoken domestic critic. In April of 2011, when Ai disappeared into police custody for three months, he quickly became China's most famous missing person, having risen to international prominence in 2008 after helping design Beijing's iconic Bird's Nest Olympic Stadium and then publicly denouncing the Games as party propaganda. First-time director Allison Clayman gained unprecedented access to this charismatic artist, as well as his family and others close to him while working as a journalist in Beijing. In the years she filmed Ai, uh, government authorities shut down Ai's blog, beat him up, bulldozed his newly built studio, and held him in secret detention. We're joined by the director and producer of Ai Weiwei, Never Sorry, Allison Clayman. Allison, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much. It's great to talk with you. And great to talk with you as well. And I am just uh, just a wonderful documentary, um, an intimate, and I think that is no exaggeration, an intimate portrayal uh, into the life and, uh, and times of Ai Weiwei. Tell me a little bit about how you came to know him and what prompted you to um, turn this into a documentary project. Well, I went to China um, when I graduated from undergrad from uh, college where I studied history and did a lot of radio journalism um, in 2006. I really wanted to become a journalist and had a dream of doing documentary film, and I decided to um, take the first step towards that by just going abroad, and I happened to pick China. Um, and I had lots of adventures and worked on learning Mandarin, and in 2008, I had the great sort of fortune and privilege to meet Ai Weiwei. Uh, my roommate was curating an exhibition of his for a local gallery, actually, and uh, she asked if I wanted to make a video to accompany the show. Um, and that's why, you know, I was handed this uh, chance to meet Ai Weiwei and also to, from day one, be in the role of of film, film, you know, filmmaker, of filming him, and um, things kind of went from there. To meet Ai Weiwei, I really think, you know, if you're someone who's interested in in journalism and finding a good story in China to tell as a documentary, I mean, I think anybody would have taken the same chance. Um, he just is a really, has a really big personality, and the way he talks about China was unlike, you know, anyone I had met um, that, uh, until then in China, and I just felt like I wanted to follow up what his projects were going to, you know, where they were going to go and figure out more of kind of what makes him tick. Yeah, he's such a, uh, a quiet, externally such a quiet sort of unforced sort of person. Um, I think his bearing and the kind of authority that in the film it comes across to me is in this sort of quiet confidence that he has. Um, he seems very accessible. Uh, and very much a man who knows himself. At least that's the impression I got from watching him. Is that how you how he comes across in in person in your dealings with him? 
Definitely. I think so. You know, when I met him, one of the jobs that I had held previously um, in China was actually working on um, a Hollywood co-production in China that was starring Jackie Chan and Jet Li. And so I had this experience already of seeing what it's like to be, you know, with a star, with an entourage and a big presence, you know. And Ai Weiwei was sort of like the anti-Jackie Chan. Like, I, I saw in him the same kind of figure who you know, commands attention in a room, you know, and and kind of respect and travels with this big group. But certainly what he's saying is very different than than um, s- someone who's like a movie star. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he but, but actually like Jackie, he kind of has this accessibility where it's like, you know, uh, talk to the regular people kind of a thing. Um, what I saw in Weiwei was really, um, I think it's about that commanding respect. And I think part of the way he conveys that is you can tell that he's very intelligent, um, but also that he treats others with respect. And I think, you know, whether eventually, you know, it's a police officer or, you know, it's, um, you know, an art assistant, he judges you based on, you know, the merits of who you are and and can be very accessible in that sense. On the other hand, he can be very intimidating, mm. I guess, if, if he decides that he does not want to show you that respect. <laughs> and I think that was something that I had even been pre-warned before the first time I met him. You know, he can make an interviewer cry if he wants to and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he has sort of a, a large physical presence that... It, you know, is to be reckoned with, for sure. Well, uh, we're speaking with Alison Clayman, the director, producer of uh, the film Ai Weiwei, Never Sorry, which, by the way, opens today here in Southern California uh, among the theaters it'll be playing at is the Lemley Playhouse 7 in Pasadena, the Landmark in uh, Los Angeles, and the Lemley Town Center 5 in Encino, as well as uh, the uh, Atlantic Times Square in Monterey Park. Um, let's do a little bit of a brief kind of overview of his particular life history, as well as his parents. Uh, it's going going back to the Cultural Revolution. Well, just tell us a little bit about that sort of overview of his family history, which is quite interesting. Sure. Um, so Ai Weiwei was born um, in 1957 to one of the country's, you know, most celebrated modern poets. His father, whose name is Ai Qing, uh, he was an enthusiastic um, sort of supporter member of the Cultural Revolution. Uh, sorry, of the. Um, of the Communist Party mm-hmm. in 1949 when the Communists and the Nationalists were fighting it out to see who was going to control the fate of modern China. Um, he actually suffered at the hands of the Nationalists, uh, that's Chiang Kai-shek's party, and was was jailed during that sort of civil war many times. Um, he was previously um, a painter, and in jail he uh, had no access to painting, and so he became a poet uh, once the communists and Mao Zedong won, you know, he was a celebrated national poet. Um, Ai Weiwei was born in 1957 to a man of this stature, but unfortunately he was also born into the moment when his father actually fell out of favor with the party. It was in the wake of um, a hundred, let a hundred flowers sort of bloom kind of moment Mm -hmm. where Mao was encouraging people to criticize the party and speak their mind and 
intellectuals and cultural figures were were speaking out, including I Ching, um, and it was a little bit of a of a trick. Then the party turned on anyone who freely expressed themselves, and I Ching was one of those people, and he was sent to far western China um, in Xinjiang province. So Weiwei was born, but immediately was sent and lived the first 18 years of his life in domestic exile uh, out um, in in far western China and in, in some kind of wild uh, a wild environment. Mm-hmm. And um, they were there during the Cultural Revolution as well, so his father suffered a great deal, um, branded an enemy of the state um, and a rightist. And this is sort of the legacy that Iowa has. It's very mixed because it's it's like being a member of the of the intelligentsia, but at the same time, and coming from a family of privilege. And all that kind of was restored in the late 70s, um, and the family did return to, to Beijing. Um, so it's like knowing that you're from this incredibly privileged and important family, and his father's name is still incredibly well known today. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the first 18 years of his life, he just had this very daily brutal reminder of, you know, what it's like to be an outsider, and what it's like for the state to really come down on on an individual. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a to be known, but at the same time, with that notoriety comes a, a proverbial target on on his on his back in terms of what he does, what he says, how he goes about living his daily life, that kind of pressure. And to grow up in, in, the, in the environment and the, the circumstances that Ai Weiwei grew up in is also the double-edged sort of knowing the full brunt of the state can bring to bear on someone, but also knowing that you can survive and you can actually thrive and, and move forward, I think, in my opinion, gives, has given Ai Weiwei a kind of in, er, inner strength that um, that few of us know, uh, because he's seen, he has seen the power of the state to repress and to uh, and to do what they do. That is a really great point, and that's how he talks about himself in the film, right? When yeah. when asked, you know, why is he so fearless in doing the things that he does, and he says, I don't describe it as fearless. I describe it as fearful. You know, I mm-hmm. I am fully aware of the danger that is out there right now, and I don't kid myself that I'm immune to it, so I feel like I'm, you know, compelled to act. Yeah. Well, it's... It, it, okay, so we kind of covered him and or the family history and himself. He emerged... He came to the United States for a period of time um, as kind of an artist in training. Is that a, an accurate way to put it? Um, Definitely, that? as an as an aspiring artist, yeah. and, you know, this is something I feel like any young person can relate to the story of, and it's a good story because now you know Ai Weiwei is a world famous artist, but he left to to go to the U.S. in the early '80s, you know, hoping that he could become that, and he soaked up all the culture and you know had all kinds of random jobs and, you know, walked the streets and gambled in Atlantic City and all these things and and did have art shows. But ultimately, you know, when he left New York in the early 90s, he was not a, um, he was not yet Picasso. He was not yet the world famous Iowa way, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, it, it, you know, I, I like the fact that there's, there's a stories of, of professional hardship as well in his background, because he's certainly very celebrated today. Yeah. Okay. So this is, uh, we'll talk to you for an hour about this film and about him. Mm-hmm. Just his life is so interesting, but we are running a little bit short on time. So he, he became sort of known to the world, 
in the uh, the 2000 the lead up to the 2008 Olympics in Beijing with his collaboration on what is known as the Bird's Nest, this magnificent structure uh, stadium that was uh, the centerpiece of the uh, China's uh, the the China Games, if you will, the Olympic Games in in China. Um, so from that 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 notoriety, he was able to kind of uh, feed off of that in terms of of his his notoriety became an, a platform for him. He denounced the games as propaganda, um, and sort of was it at that point that he started using his now signature uh, flipping the, the you know flipping off authority, flip, using the middle finger. Uh, was or was it before that that he that became kind of part of his repertoire? It was before that um, in the nineties as he had returned to China and was kind of finding him himself as sort of a mentor to all of the younger avant-garde artists and also sort of seeing, okay, what does it mean for me to be an artist in China? And he did do a lot of photography yeah. and that's, you know, study in perspective where he flips the bird, you know, to, <laughs> to Tiananmen, but then also to the White House and to the Eiffel Tower. And it has definitely become almost like a fine art meme. Um, and it's actually something that our film has done. We have a raise your finger campaign that we've been doing for a couple months now where if you hashtag raise your finger yes. and, you know, flip the bird out to something, whether that you want to send up or you want to, you know, show your opposition or maybe you just want to make a joke because it has a lot of different meanings. Yes. You know, you can put that up on Twitter or Facebook and we're collecting those and we make a photo mosaic to send to Iwiwei. Well, it is, it's, uh, and also, and then from there it became uh part of the, the the I think the thing that I in addition to the bird's nest the thing that most people would know him for is his amazing um, sort of art uh, piece if that's the right way to put it uh, regarding all the school children who died in the horrific uh, 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 earthquake that occurred in is it Sichuan? I, I forgot what province it is, but anyway, Sichuan, yeah, Sichuan, yeah. Uh, where over something like five to seven thousand school children died in their schoolrooms as these buildings were made, as they put it, tofu construction. These buildings collapsed, and he made a beautiful um, piece of public art uh, commemorating this horrific uh, event. Which did not sit well with the Chinese government. There's just so much to cover here. I don't. This is a wonderful documentary, not only for the overview of China where it is today, but also of this person. Um, uh, before we go, um, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, and one of the things I think that makes him so interesting is oftentimes I've heard when people dissent in uh, China, they do it in very kind of covert, understated sort of ways. He doesn't. His his art and his personality are such, it's so confrontational that I sometimes wonder if the Chinese government just doesn't know what to do with him because it's so apparent what he's doing. Do you think that is part of the, the conundrum that they face with, with him? I think so. I think it's tough because, um, you know, he is so bold. Yeah. And at the same time, he's not, you know, a political, a, a purely political figure. I believe, you know, he does all of this 
from his vantage point as an artist. Um, and, you know, that means that there's a mixture of, of very direct statements, you know, to the press or something because he uses social media and he'll tweet something and it's just shocking at how bold and direct yeah. it is in its criticism. But then it might be something that, you know, a backpack, a piece made of backpacks that says she lived on this world yeah. happily for seven years. I mean, it's not quite as as direct or a hundred million hand-painted porcelain sunflowers. It's not necessarily so direct. And, and because of this, he has supporters all over the world. Yeah. And he is an artist. He's not raising, a, you know, an alternate party or, or you know, yeah. an army or suggesting a new constitution. So it is really hard for the government to figure out, you know, how, how do we need to deal with him? And the more that he is influencing people, that's the more trouble he's gotten into. Yeah, it, well, I highly recommend this documentary. It is is it, it, the the intimacy that you were able to uh, gain his confidence regarding his family, uh, his son, his mother, um, and and I would urge an audience, the audience listening here today, and um, to see this film for a lot of good reasons, including it sends it also does send somewhat of a message to um, to the Chinese who have been. Uh, actively see uh, they've detained him they've they've physically abused him they've done everything they can uh short of uh something t- awful completely tragic uh to to eliminate his voice uh people need to know about him and need to know his story and repeat his story and um it is it is not just for the chinese people but for all of us to be able to stand Absolutely. up you know um, well, I thank you so much uh, for, for being here today. Allison Clayman, uh, I gave you short shrift earlier. You're the director. You're the producer. You also shot the film. You edited the film. Uh, tremendous uh, documentary. Winner of a grand uh, jury prize at Sundance. Uh, uh, gr- did I say that right? Grand jury prize. Special jury prize. Yeah, special mm-hmm. prize at, at Sundance. Uh, all the best to you, and uh, I hope... Uh, it is wildly successful uh, for you and for, uh, for Ai Weiwei as well. Um, thank you for being here on Film School. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Take care. And that was Allison Clayman, the director of uh, Ai Weiwei, Never Sorry. I call this my First Amendment show today. Uh, both of these films deal directly with our ability as a society to be able to deal with dissent, free speech, uh, saying the things that need to be said. These are artists. Uh, not only is Ai Weiwei an artist, but Alison Clayman, Frederick Gerton, uh, all of the people who hold a mirror up to us as a society and say, you know what? Maybe we ought to look at this a little closer. Maybe you should know more about this particular subject. In the, in the, in the case of Ai Weiwei, this is a country, an emerging power in the world, will be soon enough be one, if not the most predominant world power uh, a society that is dealing uh, in not so sophisticated ways with people like Ai Weiwei who want to stand up and say uh, what they know to be the truth, what their truth is, and being able to uh, let the world know uh, what is going on inside a very guarded society, a, a society that is uh, uh, emerging but uh, nonetheless troubled in many ways as well. And here in the United States... I'm not just talking about China. Frederick Gerton's story, story of a multi, uh, mega, <laughs> multinational corporation, but Dole, which is headquartered here in the United States, Dole Fruit Company, which, which d- went to extraordinary lengths to suppress 
uh, documentary that Frederick had done called Bananas, about 12 Nicaraguan um, banana workers who were sprayed with a chemical uh, um, insecticide, herbicide, that the company knew would cause physical injury. And they were sprayed with this as they worked in the fields for years. When they brought suit, Dole was faced with admitting that they had made, uh, had done this knowing full well that it caused these problems with sterility and other physical ailments and continued to do so. And they were found to be liable for that. So when Frederick Gerton did a documentary about those 12 workers called Bananas, getting ready to show it at the Los Angeles Film Festival, Dole went out of their way to make sure that no one got the opportunity to see this. It still was shown, but under the most incredible circumstances, which we will discuss with, with Frederick. So it's another story about free speech, about artistic rights, about holding that mirror up to our, ourselves and knowing full well uh, that there are responsibilities that we all play in an in a open, free society in which we bear some responsibility to hold everyone to accountable for what they do. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.